So I trust that we'll all be strengthened uh, that way today. Uh, our call to worship today comes, comes from Psalm 95. Psalm 95 says that this God is our God, not because he somehow belongs to us. I don't know if God can belong to anybody, but because we belong to God. So let me read from Psalm 95. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So Psalm 95 uh, also tells us how that's supposed to make us feel, in case we're not sure. Psalm 95 says that it's supposed to make us sing to God, to express happiness to God, to be worshipful toward God. So church, can we read these verses from the psalm together? I'll say the regular font, and you all will say the words in italics. So please say them joyfully. Say them with a smile. I want to see the smiles on your faces, even behind your masks. Um, he is our God. We belong to God. We are the sheep of his uh, pasture, and um, we're, we're his people now and always. So this is from Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Yes. To the rock of our salvation, let us make O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Savior. For he is our pasture. Amen. Why don't we rise for worship?
worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy. This is amazing. This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus, I sing for All that you've done for me the instruments making a joyful noise. He brought us to his banqueting table. Our God. And his banner, and his banner, 
You do all things well. Just look at our lives. Oh, that's so sweet. We're going to sing it together. Uh, one more time. Um, maybe partly for us because we, it's like when we're loud, we can't hear everybody. But here we can hear everybody. So it's nice just to hear everyone singing that. Let's just sing that to the Lord just confidently. We belong to him. He is our God. We're the sheep of his pasture. And we can feel the love of God in this place. We believe your goodness. We receive your grace. We delight ourselves at your table, oh God. You do all things well. Just look at our Good morning, church. These are the words of the Apostle Paul from his epistle to the church in Rome. He describes God's magnificent story of reconciliation through the death of his son, Jesus. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I will say again, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance, endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for, just a, pers for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. Once again, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for how you have reconciled us to yourself. We thank you for, for how you have reconciled 
us to yourself through the son, through the death of your son, Jesus. You have brought us close to you, God, so that we can now sing like we just sang, we are our beloved's and he is ours. You have done something for us that we could have never done for ourselves and we rejoice, God, in your salvation. Father, we thank you for your unfailing love. We thank you for um, the fact that you have and are continuing to bring those who are estranged from you back into your fold. And as we have graciously received this reconciliation, Lord, we want to be peacemakers, reconcilers, healers, repairers of the breaches, just like you. Holy Spirit, the giver of life, we know that you are making all things new. You are reconciling not only relationships, but all things in the cosmos. We pray for the things that need your newness in our world, environments that have been harmed, economies that pit the rich against the poor, structures that perpetuate systemic racism. Holy Spirit, make these things new. Holy Spirit, we also pray for countries grappling with turmoil and violence, like South Africa, Afghanistan, Haiti, the countries in Western Europe that have been ravaged by flooding. We pray for these victims, and we pray you would continue your work of reconciliation in all these places. Jesus, like we sang earlier, you have brought us to your banqueting table. Thank you for your wide hospitality and for welcoming us to commune with you. Jesus, we also await the day when you return and will bring all peoples, men and women, young and old, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue to your banqueting table. The day when you will swallow up death forever, the day when you will reign in perfect justice, the day when all things will be under your lordship. Come soon, Lord Jesus. We long for that day when heaven will be fully realized on earth. Amen. Church, hear the words of the prophet Isaiah, who speaks of a banqueting table that God is preparing for all people. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And again, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth the Lord has spoken. As we read this last verse from Isaiah, um, I'll say the regular font, and uh, church, please respond with the italicized fonts. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen. Amen. Amen, church. Um, we're so glad to be here together, um, both in person and on the stream. And we'd like to take a moment just to welcome um, and pass the peace of Christ um, that we have uh, to each other. So you can do so in person if you're with somebody or on the chat um, on the live stream. So please, let's just take a moment to uh, pass the peace of Christ.
For those of you who are here and also online, welcome once again to our uh, Sunday worship. Um, if you are visiting us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. Please let us know that you visited. Um, we would love to uh, get in touch with you in person. Um, here are a few things that are happening in our church uh, community life. Um, Tuesday night prayer. This coming Tuesday, we will focus on gratitude, giving thanks unto the Lord. And, um, uh, you know, on the one hand, I'm so proud of our church community for past year and a half. We've gathered weekly to pray. Sometimes, I admit, I admit it's, you know, it was maybe three, four people. You know, other times it was 15, <laughs> 20 people. Um, but I think gratitude, I know it's not maybe that exciting for some of us, but I think it's really important. Um, it's one of the uh, commands that the Apostle Paul gives to us to, to be thankful, to give thanks. And so this Tuesday, we're going to just pause and just give thanks to God for who he is and all that he's done. So let me invite you to join us on Zoom uh, to pray, especially thinking about who he is and, and his grace and love towards us. Um, Arlington Gathering, uh, we've been gathering in person. There are about what, 25 of us here, maybe 30, including kids. And um, it's just so good being here in person. Uh, we are, the, the, especially the leadership team in Arlington and those of us who are serving, um, we are preparing for August for, for you to come and join us. And so I just want to ask uh, that you would pray for our time together and just want to invite you to come and celebrate and worship. It really is good being in person, worshiping our Lord together. So if, you're, if you attend Arlington, uh, please do come out uh, on August 1st. Tyson's, um, on August 1st, we will be gathering at Marshall High School just to um, run through everything. So we'll bring our van, we'll unload our equipment, uh, we'll check people in, we'll practice our setup, we'll have a short service, and we'll just gather and pray. This is open to uh, anyone who attends uh, our, uh, Tyson's on a regular basis. So I want to invite you to come out, and we will do that. And the following Sunday, which is August 8th, we'll open up to everyone, uh, newcomers will gather, and hopefully we can be in person worshiping um, together. Uh, lastly, um, if you are interested in, in leading a small group, I just want to encourage you to sign up or, or let me know. Uh, I think Pastor Carl mentioned uh, this last Sunday, but you know, small group is such, a, such an important aspect of our church life. Um, it really is where, a place where you get to go deeper, uh, in relationships and build community and friendship. So if you want to be part of that ministry, please let me know. Um, you don't have, you don't need tons of experience actually. Uh, we, we would love to kind of walk with you and train you and equip you so that you can be equipped to um, serve our small groups. At this time, I will invite uh, Pastor Carl. Hello, everybody. Hello. All right. Um, 
I have, um, I think, a message of encouragement for us today. And, um, yeah, I hope you are encouraged by the Spirit of the Lord as he speaks to us through the Scripture. Um, the story that we're going to be talking about today is a, is a very famous one, probably a very familiar one to you. Um, it's traditionally known as David and David versus Goliath. David versus Goliath. So that's the story we're going to be looking at today. Um, this story is in children's Bible books. Um, it's a saying in our culture, like David versus Goliath, like this football game, Alabama versus Georgetown. It's like Goliath versus David, you know. Um, sorry to all the Georgetown people. But, um, but I'm asking us to put that lens sort of aside a little bit. And let me just say this. David beating Goliath uh, wasn't a miracle. Actually, it wasn't, okay? Um, the writer isn't actually here telling a miracle story. Like, there are definitely miracle stories in the Bible, but I don't know if this is one of them. And it's actually maybe a story more about David's resourcefulness and his smarts. Um, you know, before he used this, he used this. You know, that's kind of the, the story. Um, maybe it's not even that amazing. Um, this is... Malcolm Gladwell type material. It's like, oh, actually, if you think about it, if you put together the data, actually, you, David should have beat Goliath, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it doesn't, you know, and if that's the case, you know, so be it, because it's not a miracle story. This is a story about a great victory by a thinking man's warrior. But it's in the Bible. It's in a book that God has given us so that we will know him. Okay, in the end, it's not just an interesting story about a military battle a long time ago. But it's a story through which we are meant to know God and to live life with God. A story that's make, that is meant to make us reach out to God and find him. So I want to focus on that as we tell this story about David's, uh, not just his smarts, but his fierce trust in God. Amen? Yeah? All right. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. For Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sukkah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sukkah and Azekah in Ephes Damim. So imagine two hills, and in between these two hills um, is sort of the battleground. These two armies have their camps on these opposite hills. Verse 2, And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and, enc and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. So you have Israelites on one side, Philistines on the other. And the Philistines stood on the mountain or the hill on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion, and in Hebrew, this is literally a man in between. So think spatially, these two hills. There's going to be someone who's supposed to fill that valley space between the two armies, a champion, a representative. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion, a man in between, named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. It's very tall. We're not quite sure. There's some debate about among scholars, like how tall was he? 
was he like seven, seven and a half feet tall? Was he more like nine feet tall? But um, that's the range. It's pretty tall, anyways. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. And he was, it's, a, it's not like lightweight, like chain mail or some special technology that we have today. It's like heavy, it's bronze. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Very, very heavy. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. So the effect of this uh, brief description of his appearance, he's huge. He's a huge guy. Strong, huge. He's the first guy you want coming off the bus when you go play a football game. And this Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul, your king? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. All right, just pausing here. What we're going to see in this story is not actually a contrast between David and Goliath. Okay, there is a little bit of a contrast, for sure. But I think the main point of, the main uh, goal of this writer, especially when we look at the whole of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, the goal is to draw a contrast between Saul and David. I think the writer talks so much about Goliath's size here because there's someone else in the story whose size we've also heard a lot about. And that person is Saul. Yes, Goliath is huge. But Saul is big too. That's what we know about Saul. He's a big guy. He's tall. He's king-like. He's, he looks like a warrior. Everyone thought he should be the leader of the army. He's the first man off our bus. If there's someone among the Israelites who can be a champion, a man in between, it's Saul. I mean, we didn't read all the chapters about Saul but before, uh, before this one, but if we did, we'd see that what the writer's shown us about Saul throughout, uh, throughout these chapters is that he's a proven warrior. He's won major battles. He's tall. He's a warrior. And when we read verse 4 to 10, Goliath's description, yeah, we're intimidated. But we've already heard about Israel's tall, victorious leader, this Saul. Yeah, Goliath is like Shaquille O'Neal. But Saul is like Giannis. We have somebody. We have somebody. So what's going on? So, hey, when we read the first 10 verses, we read about Goliath. We're okay. We're okay. We're confident. And then we hit verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were ready. They were going to go. No. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. The writer doesn't waste any time dwelling on the absence of a courageous warrior for Israel, a man in between. Right after we hear in verse 11 that Israel's should-be savior, Saul, is greatly afraid just like everyone else, we have verse 12. There's a guy. 
Yep, there's a guy. Verse 12. Now David was a son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. We're actually going to skip the next uh, bunch of verses. We're going to skip down to verse 32. But in, in between, just to summarize, we have a description of David and, and some of his family. Just uh, the same kind of information that we had um, from the previous chapter that we talked about last Sunday. He has older brothers who are part of the army, who are warriors. David himself is actually not part of the army. He's taking care of the family sheep. He just comes to the battlefield just uh, to bring some, some goods, some food for his brothers, maybe as a messenger. And he hears about what's going on. And he hears the challenge that this Philistine um, Goliath issued to Israel, the way he defied Israel. So let's go to verse uh, 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, this guy. Your servant will go and fight, will, will fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, okay, now remember, David actually knows Saul. And Saul knows David. Um, because we, actually, we shouldn't remember. We didn't talk about this last Sunday, but the end of chapter 16, there's a little interlude. Um, and it says that this little story in the, at the end of chapter 16 says that Saul was afflicted by an evil spirit. Okay? He, he was afflicted by a demon of some kind. And to, to kind of find relief, he actually um, asked um, his people, bring me a musician. And they found David. And David's this musician. So, his, so what Saul knows about David is he's this young guy shepherd, I guess, and he's, he's a musician, <laughs> like, he plays, and when he plays, like, I feel better, like, the evil spirit stops um, bothering me. So this is David sa saying to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, your servant, like, I will go fight Goliath. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. Like, it's, it's no contest. You can't do it. You're a musician to stick to that, you know? Um, and then David says to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after that animal and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. He's not talking about a person here. He's talking about a lion or a bear. Like the beard is like the lion's mane. Like, oh, my gosh. That's impressive to me. That's actually more impressive than some miracles. Like, oh, my gosh, you fought a lion and a bear. But this is what David says he did. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine, that is someone who does not know God, someone that does not know God, does not worship God, does not honor God. This uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Like, we are God's people. And who is this guy who comes and trying to shame us? Who does this guy think he is? And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul is convinced by his speech. He says to David, 
go and the Lord be with you. Do it. Go. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of, so remember, Saul's a big guy. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped a sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. I'm too small. I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took, off, then he took his staff in his hand, his shepherd's staff, and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. We mentioned this last Sunday. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog? That, like, what is this? Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Is this for real? Are you guys joking? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, that's like his face is like ancient, like trash talking. <laughs> I will give your flesh to the birds. <laughs> anyway, um, then it's like, a, you guys watch pro wrestling back in the day? Or I guess still today. It's like that. That's what it reminds me of. No, you know. Anyway. Um, woo! So <laughs> David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air to the wild beasts of the earth, for that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what it is. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spirit, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Then the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. They're running, and David put his hand in his bag and took it like, can imagine it like he's running they're both sort of running you know and he takes a sling and then uh he took out a stone and slung it and struck the philistine on his forehead the sunk the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground so david prevailed over the philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the philistine and killed him there was no sword in the hand of david but then david ran and stood over the philistine and took his sword the, uh, the sword of Goliath, and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. That's the story. Um, and actually, would you guys mind if, if we just read a little epilogue to this story, starting in chapter 18, actually verse 6 of 18. I think it just says a lot about Saul, this contrast between Saul and David. Verse 6, as they were coming home after this great battle, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul and with tambourines, with song joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. This is what they sang. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can you do but have the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. We'll just read a little bit more about this evil spirit again. This next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. 
Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. He went out and came in before the people, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. Okay, That's Saul. And we also see who David is. Um, we, could be, we could go on here in chapter um, 18, and we'll hear about how Saul gave his daughter, uh, Michal, to David in a political marriage. And it just shows more insecurity from, uh, from Saul. And actually, Michal is a really sad character. She has a terrible life. Um, you can read about it in the rest of the book. But as we um, think about what we just read, the story that we've gone through, let's be formed by God's Holy Spirit to be people like David, not people like Saul. So what does that look like, and how do we get there? Number one, it looks like not being afraid. It looks like not being afraid. Instead, it looks like being secure because God is with us and because we belong to God. Say it one more time. It looks like being secure because God is with us and because we belong to God. That's what we're saying about it. Amen. Yeah. Um, there's this uh, very famous teaching tool among uh, Christians, like hundreds of years old, called the Heidelberg Catechism. And uh, it's basically a series of questions and answers, teaching basics of Christian faith. And the very first question of this catechism is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And you're taught to answer through this catechism. You're taught to answer, what is my only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's good. I know all you guys are like, where's this catechism? Let me Google this. Let me find this. This sounds good. Um, it looks like, being like David in this story, it looks like being secure because God is with us and because we belong to God. In life and in death, in every circumstance, we belong to God. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are the charge under his care. We are his responsibility. And so we don't have to be afraid. We can be secure in that. You know, I would say the church, like kind of big C in this country, like when I read about us, in, that's us, that's us, it's not just them, that's us, you know, for better or worse, that's us. When I read about us in the news, I feel like we often look more like Saul than like David. You know, we're like panicked all the time. Like, oh no, like what? Science and history are our kids learning in schools. What, what are they going to learn that's going to make them not love God? I mean, really? Is our love for God that fragile? Is God's hold of our children that weak? No, right? No. No, come on. No, no. I mean, is our theology that thin that we have to be afraid of education? No. Like, unfortunately, the answer is actually yes. We've got to change that. Like, oh, no, they're going to take away church's tax-exempt status. I, I mean, really? Is that what we're scared of? The creator of all things, the ruler of all things, 
God's plans and his goodness and his beauty and his life-giving word might be thwarted by an IRS code. Let's get it together, church. Look, we don't want persecution, but if it happens, are we really afraid? Like, oh, no, inflation. Oh, no, rising rents. Oh, no, Amazon HQ2 in Pentagon City. I mean, yes, we're concerned about inequalities and about, like, the true holistic prosperity of our cities, including D.C. and Arlington and so on. So we do care about these things, but we're not afraid for ourselves. We're not afraid for Christ's church. Amen? You know, by the way, Arlington folks here and on the stream, you know, Amazon setting up here, yes, it might make our rents higher, but God is bringing people to this neighborhood, people whom God wants to hear about Jesus and experience his Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, God wants to use them and us together to preview his beauty, his beautiful kingdom, the kingdom he's going to bring in this city and world until he returns. Let's be there for them. Amen? Dang, God's mission for this neighborhood is gearing up. Mm. All right. I, just one verse I just want to look at one more time is verse 26 of chapter um, 17. David said to the men, this is part of uh, the chunk that we skipped. David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? This is after David heard what Saul had said, or sorry, what Goliath had said. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who does this person thinks he who does this person think he is? Who is this person or what is this thing that thinks that they can shame God and God's people? And that's a question I think we can ask when we face different circumstances. Who is this? What is this illness? What is this situation? Who is this person? What is this thing that we're facing? They think they can take me down. They can take us down who belong, who's, who, like we are God's responsibility, that we belong to him. Let's not be afraid. What is a life like David's, not like Saul's look like? It looks like not being afraid. It looks like trust and security. Because we know God is with us and that we belong to God. Amen? Okay, so that's what it looks like. Number two, how do we get there? That's what it looks like. How do we get there? Well, I think it's simply by knowing what God says and knowing what God does. How do we get there? We get there by knowing what God says and knowing what God does. What did David know about God? What did David know about God here? And we can't be sure because it doesn't say explicitly in 1 Samuel, but we know, uh, we, can, we, we can assume, I think, really easily that he knew the Pentateuch. Okay? He knew the first five books of the Bible. Those were the, called the books of Moses. They've been part of Israel's life for a long time at this point. And I'm just going to turn to Psalm 103, which is actually a psalm written by David. And it shows what he knew about God from the Pentateuch. Psalm 103, I'm just going to read a bunch of it. Verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So I want to give another sermon just on this. It's like so good. 
verse, uh, verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The Lord works justice and righteousness for all who are oppressed. How does he know that? Is he just conjecturing? No, that's what Moses revealed to his people. That's what's in the Pentateuch. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And this is a quotation from Exodus 34. These are the very words God gave to Moses, verbatim. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And David knew that. How did David get there to a place of security and trust? He knew what God said, and he knew what God did. And this is a very specific thing that he knew God said. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's not just some random God out there we hope is gracious and compassionate. The God whom we belong to, our God, is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always chide. He will not keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are just dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it and it's gone. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, that is, people in relationship with him. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's what we know. And we see, actually, this throughout David's life that he really knew that. His life reflected that. You know, self-affirmation can be really powerful. It, it really can be, self-affirmation. Um, but I, but I, think we, I think we can all agree that sometimes it's, it's just not enough. Um, like about 20 years, I can't believe it's been this long, but about 20 years ago, there was this really popular song by Christina Aguilera. It became like an anthem. You heard it everywhere. It's like on TV shows, on commercials, like children's concerts. Like, I am beautiful no matter what they say. I mean, it's a beautiful affirmation. I'm beautiful, no matter what they say. Words can't bring me down. I'm beautiful in every single way. Yes, words can't bring me down. I mean, it's definitely like affirming. It helps me accept myself. It's even a little defiant, you know, like other people's words can't bring me down. So don't you bring me down today. It's like, okay, okay, Christina, whatever you say, I'm sorry. It's my fault. I'll do the dishes. It's my fault. Anyway, like, um, like that's an affirmation that, that can be helpful. You know, it's funny. Um, like what I grew up with, like more than 20 years ago, like I grew up on Morrissey and the Smiths, and like my head was filled with the opposite lyrics. You know, like I was like 12, waiting for my bus at the bus stop, like singing to myself, I know I'm unlovable, you don't have to tell me. You know, I wear black on the outside because black is how I feel on the inside. If I seem a little strange, well, that's because I am, you know? Uh, anyway, th I think this maybe explains my generation. You know, Generation Xers, holler, you know, that's us. <laughs> Like, we don't expect much, you know, what are we? Um, we're not beautiful, you know? <laughs> I think self-affirmation can be really helpful, but again, I think we can all agree that it's limited. Not because there's something wrong with it, but because it's actually just not fair for us to place certain expectations on self-affirmation. Like, it's just not fair to expect self-affirmation to do all that. 
You know, because in the end, we're not alone in our own little worlds in life. That's not how we live, where I'm just like in a bubble and all that matters is my own opinion of myself. We live with many people and with many things that are beyond our control and beyond our perception. And we can try to judge ourselves and maybe affirm ourselves, but in the end, our own judgment or affirmation of ourselves may not matter that much, actually. And it may not matter that much because at the very end of the day, there's only one judge whom God has appointed to judge all people, living and dead. That one judge is Jesus. And Jesus' opinion, in some ways, it's the only opinion that matters. And this Jesus, who is the only judge, this Jesus has died for us, has died for you. This Jesus rose from the dead so that we could, too, like, live again. This Jesus, in a way, bought us with his blood and broken body so that we belong to God, so that we could be one with God in his love forever. And there's no substitute for that kind of affirmation. No matter how nice the song is, it's just not fair to compare, like, a self-affirmation or a self-affirming anthem to the song that Jesus sings to us. You are mine. The judge of the whole universe says, you are mine. I died for you. I rose so that we could live together in love. So how do we become like David? By listening to and taking to heart God's words to us. And another, another way of saying it is just by trusting God's words. By letting ourselves be known by Jesus. By letting our sin be atoned for by Jesus. By trusting God when he says that we belong to him. By trusting God when he says that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. By letting go and letting God. I kind of crack up at that because I don't, sometimes I don't really know what that means. But, I, you know, actually a week ago, or just over a week ago, I was getting really stressed. Like a couple of days before last Sunday. Um, just because there's just so much going on. God, you know, like that's what all the Christians have framed up on their walls. Come on. <laughs> you know, I, I cracked up. I'm like, I guess you're right. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but okay. Um, but, you know, that's why we come here each Sunday, to be told and to tell each other that God is gracious and compassionate. We need that voice. We need to be told, we need to tell each other that we belong to God in life and in death and every other circumstance, in job loss, in sickness, in relief, in happiness, in loneliness. We belong to God. You know, we're about to take communion. It's this bread and this cup. And we do this to say with our mouths and with our stomachs too that Jesus let himself be broken for our sake. Jesus gave his blood to atone for our sin. That is Christ's body, friends, broken for you. That is Christ's blood shed for you. And we hear that week after week. And that's a big reason we're coming together every Sunday, to hear that and to tell each other that. You belong to God. Um, I'm just going to finish with this. Uh, or, well, actually, let me tell you another kind of fun story about my daughter. She, I asked her permission. She, she said it's fine. I'll say it this way. Um, I, there's this incident about four years ago um, she just started middle school, and uh, one night she was like super stressed out with this assignment that she was uh, having a hard time with. It involved like picking on 
involved making a video and the software was, you know, giving her problems and she was stressed out about like doing really badly and she's like weeping, I mean, for like long time. And she was like really stressed about doing badly on the project. <laughs> and this reflects well on me, doesn't it? <laughs> like I hate myself. Anyway, she is like breaking down, she's like crying and she's saying, like, oh no, what if I can't do it? What if it's terrible, you know? Or like, what if, you know, I do, I'm gonna do so badly and it's gonna go on my record and then it's gonna affect high school and then I'm in college and my whole life, you know? Like, what's gonna happen if I don't do well on this? And then I just said, like, to kind of, you know, hopefully, like, kind of break the mood, I, I said, well, I guess no one's gonna love you anymore. And, <laughs> and she's, like, cracked up, you know? She immediately, like, she cracked up through the tears. Um, you know, and I, I guess what's sad is I know Maybe for some of us, like if a parent said that to us, like we take that for real, like, oh my gosh, is he worse? They're gonna stop loving me, you know? But at, at least she knows that, like, I mean, what, that's absurd for my daughter, you know? Like, yeah, so I like, cracked her up, like, oh yeah, of course, no, yes, people are gonna stop loving me, and my parents are gonna, God's gonna stop loving me. Um, like, she could laugh because she was secure in that. She could laugh because she was secure, not just in my love, but maybe the love of others, but especially the love of God. And, okay, I'm going to really close with this. All right, this is Proverbs. I want to look at the end of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31. And this section is often titled something like the ideal woman, um, woman of noble character, awesome woman. I don't know. Have you guys heard other titles for this? Something along those lines. Like great women, great woman. Um, and, you know, basically the idea is like Christian women here that they should try to be Proverbs 31 women. And yes, this section does describe an ideal woman, actually an ideal queen. But if we see the context of the whole book of Proverbs, we see that this, six, this section isn't really just, I mean, it's about a woman, but it isn't just for women. It's for all people who are called to love God and imitate God's graciousness in the way that we treat others. Okay? And let's not exclude men here from Proverbs 31. Okay? I get excluded from my parent emails because I'm not a mom. I get excluded from Japanese flower arranging classes here at the church, you know, all this stuff. But let's, let me not get excluded from Proverbs 31 too, okay? All right, this is verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, again, this is beyond um, like sex. This is beyond like a gender rule. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She works. Um, I'm just going to skip ahead verse 17. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Like, everyone's fine. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. She's very capable. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She laughs. <laughs> she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with, with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And this is what they say, verse 29, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And this is a kicker, verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. This Proverbs 31 describes David. This Proverbs 1, uh, 31 describes the people of God who simply trust what God says and what God does.
we can laugh at his cunning. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But the person who trusts the Lord is greatly to be praised. Can we laugh at the days to come? Because <laughs> we know we belong to him. Amen. Amen. Hope you're encouraged by that. Um, we're going to take a communion just like we talked about. This is a chance for us to just say again in another way to express that Jesus' uh, is bread, uh, Jesus' body is a bread broken for us, that Jesus' uh, blood is the cup shed for us. I'm going to ask um, Wayne and Kyung. Um, they're going to come up, and this is what we'll try to do this time. We're going to have everyone come up to receive the elements, um, but instead of just coming up, grabbing it, and taking it back to your um, chair, could you just, um, I mean, Wayne and Kyung won't actually, like, hand them to you. They're just there. But when you, when you get the element, can you just let one of them say to you, body and blood of Christ for you. Okay, so can you just receive those words as you take the bread and take the, take the thing, take the bread and, and, the, and the cup, and you can take that back. We'll start with uh, um, our musicians, actually. They'll come up, and as they're coming up, let me just pray for us. Yeah, you guys can come up and, and grab the elements first. I'll just give you a moment first just to respond in your own way. Just use your own words. Um, it, you know, it, there's no, like, right way to pray in this way. I, you know, so don't worry about saying the wrong thing. God is listening. God is here. And he longs to be gracious to you. And so just in your own way, with whatever words you have, can you just tell God that you want to be secure in his love? Can you just tell God, I, I know some of these things about you, that I belong to you, that you died for me, that I'm your responsibility? Can you just say to God in so many words, I'm going to be secure in you, in your love for me. Just take a moment, just pray that way. And we're declaring, Lord, that this uh, story of Christ is our story. And it's not just a random story about some hero or some religious hero, but it's a story about us. And a story about our salvation, our reconciliation and closeness with you, Lord God. The love that we experience from you. Um, we'll say this creed together, um, friends. We'll just say this creed together, and after we say it, um, please just come up um, from the front to the back. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So please come receive the body and blood of our Lord, and we'll start singing. You just join us.
so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunging beneath the healing cleansing flood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease. Just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Um, let's just sing that last stanza one more time. Yes, it is sweet to trust in Jesus. Um, that's our prayer. Um, let's pray that where you are. If you want to, I don't know, kneel, feel free. If you want to stand, feel free. If you want to lift your hands, feel free. If you want to cross your chest. Let's just make this a prayer where you are. Yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, 
Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. sing this uh, simple line, a simple chorus, how sweet to be the friend of God. Um, and I encourage us as we sing it, uh, just receive uh, from the Lord, simply just trust and just um, let this be a moment of rest for your soul. How sweet to be the friend of God. As we close here, receive this um, benediction as we are sent um, from here to others. Uh, we're gathered together here, but we're sent to others uh, from here always. So may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of all, may the love of Jesus who died for us, and may the comfort and communion of the Holy Spirit, one with us always, be with you now and forever. Let's go from here knowing the Lord, secure in the Lord, and helping others be secure in the Lord too. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope you have a great rest of your day, and we look forward to seeing you again on the stream and some of you um, in person next Sunday. And then in August, um, yeah, we'll all be together in this room. Ah, it's craziness. Uh, thanks so much for joining us.